1: Welcome to the Luck on Sunday podcast, a weekly audio digest of all the best bits of Luck on Sunday. Free to air every Sunday from nine o'clock that brings you the best guests and insight from around the racing world. But first this week, I'm really pleased to welcome back to the Luck on Sunday studio, the professional gambler Patrick Veach, who this week expounded his theory on Racing, as he put it bloating bloated fixture list in an article in the racing post, in a long article in the racing post And I'm going to try Patrick this morning to try and drill down and find out if between us in the next 25 minutes We can find a
2: solution first of all. Thanks for coming in. Why do you think we've got too much racing? I think it was a well-meaning attempt to increase betting turnover, you know back down sort of decades uh, I think the bookmakers and the BHA and the predecessors got together and they decided that their method would work. They looked at statistics, they, they said, well, you know, based on what we see, we have more turnover, and we have four meetings rather than three, and it just seemed to work. But that is short term. It's a fallacy that it works in the long term. It contains a conflicting variable, the conflicting variable being, being the appetite of the customer. I'll give you an example of that. At the moment, the government are testing a huge number of people for antibody tests mm-hmm. for the COVID. And they're sending out letters and saying, well, will you please cooperate with this and do the test? That's not going to work at all, because the antibody test is going to be done by people who are diligent, the people who are more likely to be social distancing, and the people who can't be bothered are the people who are less likely to do the test. So the the results will be junk. And what you have in the case of the appetite of the customer, in the long-term situation with fixtures, is that the more fixtures you throw at them, in the short term, next week, whatever it works, in the long term, they get fed up with it. The you know the, the daily newspapers outside the racing post don't have time to publish any articles anymore. It's just race card, race card, race card. You go in, you try to follow the sport. It's bloated, it's relentless, it's fixture after fixture. Yesterday afternoon, there were three flat meetings in the space of three flat races in the space of five minutes. People just can't keep up with it.
1: But is there any evidence to suggest that this is damaging long-term racing turnover or the betting turnover?
2: Well. There isn't a proven cause link, but down sort of one, two, three decades, we've repeatedly seen our market share go down at a time when we might have been hoping it go up. Because back in the day, you had to listen to a racing commentary, you know, an Excel racing commentary in a betting shop. That was all you got. Suddenly we've got this wonderful environment where racing pictures are available in the betting shops, then in homes, then on on phones. And yet the the share has gone down and down and down. And when you talk to people in racing, and I've obviously talked to punters all the way through from punters who have two bets in their life to regular punters, to former regular punters. And the narrative is consistently that there's just too much of it. You can't keep up with it.
1: But isn't the reason that the market share has gone down because the availability of betting on other sports and in lots of novel ways has increased and other sports are fundamentally more popular than horse racing?
2: Well, well they are now. Um, you know, that, that are, are The level of popularity of horse racing has gone down as the fixtures have gone up. But haven't football and cricket and rugby always been more
1: popular than horse racing?
2: Uh, I would say, you know, in terms uh, of their, their
1: proximity to the national psyche,
2: I would say horse racing compared to say ropey, no, um, you know, uh, the, but it, it was, you know, that following the horses was across all levels of society, oh, i follow the Gigi's, that sort of thing, was just a bigger thing back then. Mm. And, and when it was more, you know, I was talking to my father, he talked about in the 1980s, there was a horse, Prevideo, who used to win, you know, a relentless number of two year old races. And he said when he went into the betting shop, you know, there'd be a crowd of people there to see it. Now, the, the bean counters worked out that those type of races where you had a four to seven favourite didn't make as much money, but it got the interest up on a day when there was very little other interest, and that generated, you know, stories in the press. It was it just suddenly made the Monday the Monday's racing more interesting.
1: But it interests me because you're you're a man with a mathematical background. Mm. You're a you're a Cambridge mathematician, a mm-hmm. prodigious Cambridge mathematician. You've turned your hand to making a lot of money gambling, yet your your theory here is quite a. Uh... Is quite an abstract one. It's not one that really relies on concrete numbers. It relies yep. on something that's coming from your 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 heart.
2: Well, but also a vast number of other people's hearts. You can't have a, you know, a proven way. Although the RCA have claimed that they have a solid mathematical basis for the belief in their fixture list, I would love to see that. Um, you can't have proven evidence because how do you assess the the impact of customers that have left the sport? How do you assess the people who, when they were bored on a train, they turned to the racing pages and it was just. A mass of horses. It wasn't like it was twenty, thirty years ago when there'd be two, three stories even on a weekday. It was just a mass of horses. How do you account the number of people who, even if you survey them, they wouldn't even be interested in talking to you about horse racing because they lost interest years ago because it was just too relentless.
1: So you genuinely believe if there were fewer fixtures, you could actually turn over more money. You could turn over more more betting revenue. you
2: would simply have more customers you know you you wouldn't have, if you drop the fixture list you wouldn't have more customers in a day but you would over time and you would also arrest the decline at the moment it's gone down and down and down because it just has been impossible to follow and it's, just, it's not just me that believes it this is a very very widely spread widespread view across industry people you know across the horsemen but also across betting people and I've spoken to a huge number of them and it's consistently oh, I just can't keep up with it
1: Everyone talks about the horse population, the pyramid of the horse population. At the moment, there are horses being balloted out left, right and centre that cannot get a run. Mm. What do you do with them all, with this this vastly reduced fixture list? That's
2: likely to be less less of a problem. We're going to see a contracting number of horses anyway. We're going to see that, you know, at the moment, a lot of horses will be sold. We're going out the country at the end of this year. You know, there's going to be reduced breeding. There's going to be reduced yearling purchases. At the moment, you've probably still got trainers who can afford to buy horses on spec to, to keep the population up. But, you know... Don't forget, it's not just COVID, there's going to be the tax rises that result from that. All the money that's been spent, a lot of it's been wasted as well, uh, you know, we're going to be facing a much more difficult economy, and in the of that, the horse population is going to drop anyway. So you can have lower turnover, because we know that if you have more six, seven runner fields across the board, that's going to produce lower turnover, but now we have the perfect opportunity, because the number of horses will go down. But
1: the horse population is not going to go down for a couple of years.
2: Well, I don't think... Because unfortunately- there's, a,
1: there's, a, there's going to be a natural delay. So people didn't stop producing the amount of horses they were going to produce either this year or last year. They might start, start that process next year or the year after, which means it's probably three or four years down the track well, no, until the horse population starts contracting. In the meantime, we've still got a whole load of horses who actually can't get
2: into a race yeah but I'm not imagining that you know anybody can wave a magic wand and drop the fixed list tomorrow anyway yeah. there's, there's long-term deal what do we do with all
1: those horses well uh, give o- them
2: away no but over time put the, them down but over time horses will the more go abroad there's quite high demand for horses in the Middle East that sort of thing there simply will be they will fetch lower prices at the sales already you'll see fewer horses um, going to fewer mares going to stallions next year and over time you'll just see you'll just see the situation you know dissipate into more other countries elsewhere
1: so there'll be a natural contraction We've won't need the fixtures anyway so the, the sport's going to sort itself out so well
2: no because we may struggle on and try to just have smaller fields because because racing's administrators have been obsessed by this idea that high fixtures is good or we can you know assess the actual opinion of the people across the industry and the punters and realize this isn't good and we need to change
0: luck on sunday proudly sponsored by al bastia cruel
1: dubai you didn't get to Cheltenham over the weekend.
0: No, no, I didn't do. No, watching from
1: afar, three days in the lakes. Right, which was very nice. Yes. But I'm sure you will agree, it was a a fine, well, the best way that Cheltenham could have started its season in difficult circumstances.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think of all the places that you go to during during these next few few months, Cheltenham is, is always, I think, going to seem amongst the most surreal, just because. As Alistair Dan wrote so beautifully in the racing Post piece this week Cheltenham is is so connected to the people that go there, and the atmosphere is such a huge thing mm. at Cheltenham, but even just watching it on t v it felt it felt slightly surreal. There was some place you go to you know Newmarket in the autumn where you wouldn 't necessarily expect to see a lot of people there you can, You can sort of deal with it, but Cheltenham will feel odd, but I thought. The racing was excellent. That two-day card, which, you know, those of us of an age remember as being an old Tuesday-Wednesday card in the middle of the week in October, which which was okay, but it's been built up and up and up. The racing's got four very strong handicaps, I think, as as the centrepiece of the two days. This year, for the first day, had mainstream coverage on the Friday, so they made the best possible job of it.
1: I used to love that meeting when I was a student, yeah. sitting sit in Labrooks in Burley Street all Tuesday <laughs> afternoon, all Wednesday afternoon, the jump season had started. Yeah. Let's have a look at Frodon winning on a Saturday afternoon for Bryony Frost, who became the Saturday Queen a couple of years ago, and she sort of maintained that ever since. So this horse is, is a fabulous steeplechaser. I sort of amused Lee, really, that it's probably about 0.25 horses in in training who run in, in, in steeplechases that can jump with the metronomic precision that he can at this level.
0: Yeah, and he, he just jumps with with such enthusiasm as well. You, you can tell he loves his job and and turning for home here it felt rather cruel but when it was obvious it was going to be a race up the home straight between Frodon and West Approach it was pretty obvious which way that was going to go because although West Approach is a, is a lovely horse, he's never been one who finds a huge amount under pressure, whereas Frodon gallop all day and again at the final fence another spring hill leap goes clear up the hill and it was a really good quality handicap performance was racing off 164 he dropped four pounds after disappointing in the ryanair uh, on his final start last season and you just sense that last season he was never quite the horse he'd been Mm. the season before Um, but this was a great way to start his campaign and it seems as though this year or this season that the, the owner will finally have his way and persuade Paul Nicholls to run him in the Gold Cup. I remember when he won at Kempton last January, he was dropping strong and said he yeah. wanted to go for the Gold Cup. I think Paul was of a mind
1: that the Ryanair was, was the best race. The Gold Cup will be his race this season. I think the point is that I think Paul's decision-making was informed by the fact that the Ryanair was... On paper, the more straightforward race, class-wise, yeah. and the horse was adaptable as regards distance. Absolutely. I think now yeah. they found out that he was. Yeah, he, there was a lot of pace pressure on him in last year's Ryanair. Yeah, but I mean, there was no pace pressure on him yesterday. Absolutely. When you when you looked at last season's Ryanair, even after the race,
0: it looked winnable. Even after it had been won, um, it wasn't a particularly great great contest. Min was a, was a smashing winner, but it wasn't a great renewal. It was the right, right right thing to do, but this season,
1: the right thing to do is let the house have a go at the goal. See, cup. normally speaking, you'd think. Ah, this horse isn't quite good enough to take a hand in a gold cup but Nickels can squeeze a bit more out of these horses that's the thing even absolutely when, even when they've won 15 and they've won six round Cheltenham which very few horses do and I put those statistics to Brani Frost yesterday and she joins us on the line now morning Briony good
3: morning how are you all
1: very well thank you very much uh, you were quite right I think to be um, effusive in your praise of this horse yesterday because he was he was absolutely brilliant and I mean, to you, did he did he feel like he was right back to his to his very best?
3: Yeah, I, you know, I was on the phone to Clifford last night, coming home, and you know, these the horses sometimes when they have a hard season and a busy season like he did the time before, sometimes it just takes them a year just to find their, their feet and and get their rhythm back. Um, you know, they're not they're not machines; they can't just be expected to perform at the same level of time in and time out. But Paul's training. Um, countless times, um, has proven that he can get these horses to come out and keep, you know, achieving and, you know, achieving more every, every time. Um, and I think that, you know, yes, COVID happened, um, um, but it's given him time to freshen up. And he came into that race yesterday, you know, being fresh. Well, he schooled a couple of days before with him and they were laughing me laughing at me in the school because. He was squealing and taking the mickey and cutting corners and I could hardly control him. You know, he was, he's in good heart.
1: How soon did you know yesterday that you were you were on a going day?
3: <laughs> you are always on a going day when you sit with <laughs> Um, You know, he's, he, he just, he loves his racing. You know, he, he's, he's never gone out there and, and disappointed me. Sometimes things haven't quite worked our way, but there's never been a time out there that you think he doesn't love the game or is he still there or, you know? never once, Um, you know, it was, yeah, I think the only thing that was playing on our minds was the weight, that was, in my opinion, the only thing that was going to get us beat, Um, you know, with the six pounds plus, it was 12 stone four, Um, we had a a very heavy downpour 10 minutes before we came out, and we were on old ground from yesterday, the day before, sorry it's running, Um, so it quickly got in, you know, it was churned up ground, I thought in everybody's tactics, you know, the three mile one, it was, you know, my limit of stamina with him. So it was always going to be, if I was on any other horse, I was going to try and make weight tell. I was going to try and push his stamina. Um, that was the way I was going to get him beat. I wasn't going to out-jump him, I'm not going to out jump him i am not going to outclass him. So that's my own tactics to, to see him not win. So I knew what they were going to try and do. So it's going to be difficult. But his class pushed all all those worries of mine out, out the way. Um, you know, every time they tried to come to him, he just out jumped them. He just out travelled them, um, and uh, one by one, he kept he kept pushing them pushing them to bay. Yeah.
1: You had Harry Skelton attending you for much of the first circuit and a half on on Cobra de May. Were you chatting away between you there? What?
3: Yeah, he, there was there's a few moments. One down the hill. Um, I thought one, two, three, and on thought one, two. Um, and I just thought, oh, there you are. There's your class. You know, there's your, there's your ability again. You know, you're you're just such an athlete. And Harry did go to me, oh, my God, like this. And I was <laughs> like, yeah, he's pretty awesome, like that, as we're going on the bench. You know, sometimes there are chats out there, and, you know, people could go, oh, God, you've got to be concentrating. But, yeah, you have to also, you know, the pressures are... Um, of riding these good horses and that is high, you know, and riding for the top team it is high. You have to concentrate, you have to be on the ball, but also don't take away the point of why we're in the game and why we do it is because we all live for the buzz of being out there with these very special horses and winning these these types of races as well. So you can't just ignore actually having fun and this is the reason why we do it is because we love it as well. So.
1: You've got a, a, a nice contacts book lined up for this season, Bryony, obviously writing plenty for, for Paul and you've had plenty of winners for him already this season, but also continuing with with Neil King and, and Lucy Wadham as well. Do you feel in a pretty good place?
3: Yeah, you know, life's progressing really nicely. Um... You know, when I was bumbling around with my point-to-points, I, I had a, a homebred called What Can I Say for Dad, and he was my superstar. You know, he it was just we didn't. He won uh, hurdle race, Hayden's first hurdle race for him when he came off the flat round Exeter. But for me, I don't think we, I think we managed to win one point-to-point. But the way he jumped and the way he travelled, he was he was my superstar at the time. And you know, I remember watching the racing and watching Paul and his horses and thinking, wow, they're just how cool. You know, these horses, how cool are they? I joked with Hayden last night. He said, "Well, B, there's one thing they can't take away from you—you've won on a 160-plus rated horse." And you know, they're just, it's, they just—they are, are—they—they are the elite athletes. They're—they are, you know, the gold—the gold medalists of of our sport. And um, to say that I'm connected with a yard and trainer and and a horse like him, you know, I've got I've got a few like Present Man, Black Corton, um, Yalarenki. You know, they're just. I've been able to sit on some incredible horses and, um, and every minute of it I've got to keep improving, I've got to keep concentrating um, and when given the opportunities I've got to make them count um,
1: oh. for every train I ride for. Onwards and upwards, Brani. thanks so much for chatting to us. Well done again yesterday.
3: No worries, thanks guys.
1: Brani Frost who... Um, who won aboard Frodon. It's good advice for us to go steady, unlikely, <laughs> unlikely she will be doing the same. And nor, I think, Lee, will a horse called Honest Vic, who yeah. I think people might have vaguely remembered from being quite a promising horse last season. I think they know who he is now. He exploded onto the scene with this performance in the Pertemps Hurdle yesterday for Henry Daly. I'd, I'd say he's going to be a Stayers Hurdle-type horse. I think he almost certainly has to be now.
0: Um, he's also, there, was a, there was a big word for him when he won a race at Kempton during the Christmas meeting then. That that put him in line for the Coral Cup where he ran a perfectly good race to finish fifth in in a red-hot handicap. But you still wouldn't have thought he would go from that to winning a race like the one yesterday so easily. He tanked. Mm all the way round and when he was released up the home straight there was almost a rooster booster champion hurdle like yeah.
1: ping off the bend when he went clear there's Th- not there's not many horses who can tank like this for three no. miles plus it had a bit of dare I say it, it had a bit of the thistle crack when he started doing yeah. well over hurdles to it to me
0: and, and it's a good comparison to mate because you, you, we've seen in the past that when a horse in that division gets on a roll, gets ahead of steam Behind him and starts to improve, he can make real inroads into the upper echelons. Mm. And we saw last season in the stayers' hurdle, with no disrespect uh, to the winning horse, that it's not at the minute a vintage division in terms of strength and depth. There's a lot of scope there for a horse to come in and shake it up. Mm. And the way he won that race there, he he will have to go down that race. He's not going to win a per temps final. Um, I don't think after that, partly no. because of his handicap, but partly because he'll be, be deemed too good to be running in, in that sort of race anyway.
1: It would be lovely to see him in against Paisley Park, a, a rejuvenated Paisley Park, after just that one blip at the back end of last season. Let's have a look at Rouge vif who was an even more impressive handicap winner. This was the previous day. We've seen Frodon, we've seen Honest Vic. Rouge vif was third in the Arkle. I wondered whether he was really at his best when he was third in the Arkle. I think the evidence of, of Friday, even though he was against Mark's inferiors, was no, because... Again, it was simply the enthusiasm with which he went through this race that made you think, right, well, this is another one for championship races this season, never mind handicaps.
0: Yeah, real similarities. And again, it, a bit like the Stayers' hurdle, it wasn't a vintage Arkle last season in which he'd been beaten um, and uh, did, I think, raise question marks about the track. But if there are any question marks, my goodness, they're answered here. This was a, a superb performance. And any Chalham handicap is invariably going to be a strong handicap and to win a race like that by that far in that manner marks him down as a very high class graded performer. We gave him a rating of 165 for that which is again is knocking on the door of That's a racing post, rating of racing post rating of 165 which is a proper proper high class rating um, fascinating what, what, what he does now. I know Harry Whittington had been thinking of going over two and a half miles, I think the idea is now to stick over two miles there's a good grade two at the, the next November meeting. Yeah, but he has to be a champion chase contender.
1: I think he does. And Harry Whittington's on the line now. Harry, morning. Good morning, Nick. And we spoke after the race, and we rolled all these things around a little bit. Have you uh, have you had a little bit of time to digest, and have you come to any more conclusions?
4: Um, I we, we've digested, but not come to any conclusions yet. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, we've enjoyed it immensely, um, you know, and. It was just a nice surprise, lovely surprise, and just thrilled in the manner in which he did it.
1: Um, uh, okay, surprise, but how surprised really? Because it's not as though you were talking this horse down last year.
4: Well, no, exactly. I mean, he's been in, he's been in great form all all autumn, and he feels a, a strong horse. You know, he's only six, and he's big. He's always been a big lump of horse, big tank of a horse, and um, so he he was always going to improve from you know this summer as a six year old. So um, yeah, no, he's been training really well. He's been in great nick, but. Um, you know, he still needed to improve and uh, produce a, a, career, a career best to, to carry that weight off one five six and you know win like he did. He's obviously improved, and and that's also exciting. But I think the ground, the ground, this he's lethal on that ground. I think
1: slightly better ground. If it had been yesterday, do you think he he would have struggled?
4: Um, Well, I'd like to hope that he
1: would have still won. (laughs) Mm, But, (laughs) I mean, maybe not not won by Uh, two dozen legs. Not the manner
4: in which he did. Exactly. Absolutely. I think that the ground, you know, it shows he's lethal on that ground. I think the better Mm. ground, the better he is, yeah.
1: Now, you've got an interesting campaign to pick with these three horses that ran at the festival last year because you've got this horse and simply the bets and St. Calvados. Will you... I mean, are you confident you can keep them all apart?
4: Um... Very much so. I think, you know, it's it's not a problem. Um, It's extremely exciting and fantastic for us to to have these three horses. But in my mind, at the moment, uh, they are slightly different. They're all slightly different trips. Go on. You know, Rouge is a a two-miler. You know, I'm sure he'll stay two and a half, but he's got such a high cruising speed, and he stays so well, it makes him a very good two-miler. So I can't see us going up on trip with him, you know, this season. And, um, you know, I think simply the bet's, Gavin's always said he's got the speed for two. He's day three, but two and a half seems to be his optimum trip, and he's obviously very good over two and a half, and I'd say we'll stick to two and a half. And Calvados, I think, uh, you know, we've we've only upped, it, upped him to two and a half twice, um, and he obviously improved, you know, immensely to go and um, split Min and um, Atlas Tard in the Ryanair. And I think, you know, Gavin feels that he'd have absolutely no problems day three. And he was just staying on at the end, and perhaps Min was, you know, running out of stamina. So, you know, we we can try him up to three, but you know, he's obviously very good over two and a half as well. So, you know, I suppose with simply the bet's rating at the moment, he can he can run in another handicap, whereas obviously St. Carlos is one six seven. So it depends on yeah. kind of. We'll have the entry for the for the. I think the plan Andrews, keen to have the entry for the at two and a half at Ascot and the Betfair Chase on the same day.
1: Is this for St Calvados?
4: Yes, it's yeah. for Saint Calvados. Um and you know we we we're so sort of hopeful that he will be able to go up to three miles this season and simply the Betts will stay stay two and a half, start off in a handicap and he'll obviously have to have to well he'll have to do what Rouge did. So could, Friday, sim- could simply the Betts
1: could simply the so, Betts go into something like the Paddy Power then?
4: Well I, I he will he's got the entry. He's very much got the entry. And um obviously it's your feet runs um today in the old grown so it was always gonna be one in one and one in and one and the other potentially. So um so yeah, I mean he's you he, he, at the moment, you know, he's in the paddy power and, and uh, I'd imagine that that's 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 where we'll go next. And yeah. then
1: Rouge for the Schleur chase on the same weekend? Potentially,
4: see how he comes out of the race. Um, you know, hopefully if it if it um, dries out a bit for them um, it would just give him a very good chance. Um So, yeah, I mean, we see how he comes out of the race, obviously, Um, fairly quick turnaround, three weeks, but um, he's he's tend to have taken his races well in the past. So, Mm. um, yeah, see how he comes out of it and go from there. I mean, he trotted up like a ballerina yesterday morning. So, um, yeah, we'll we'll see how he is this week and and go from there. But he will certainly, I'd, I'd imagine he'll have the entry in it for sure.
1: Well, it sounds like you've got all the bases covered, uh, Harry. You're going to win the, you're going to win the Paddy, Paddy Power and the and the Ryanair with with simply the bets. You're going to win the Champion Chase with Rouge Vif and Saint Calvados Fair Chase, King George, and then maybe the Gold Cup. Yeah, oh,
4: we, we just we just feel immensely privileged to have these horses. It's as simple as that, you know. And um, the whole team got kind of a right spring in their step this morning, and it's what it's all about for us. And you know, we're we're just feeling extremely fortunate, and um, very excited about the season ahead.
1: Harry, thanks. Thanks, mate. Harry Whittington, he's got some nice horses. Upwardly mobile. Um, He he thinks about
0: it, doesn't he? He does, yeah. I mean, he's doing well for a reason. Um, He's got the horses, but he's he's doing the right things with them. And and for the owners too, for the Brookses, I mean, they really have got some talent there to play with this season.
1: Um, On the flat yesterday, it was a notable day at Newbury for Eukon Glen who's yep. a, a fabulous horse. He really is. He's a great testament to the training skills of Jim Goldie. I never thought he'd train a horse more unusually and effectively than he trained Nanton. Yeah. But this is a horse that yeah. is rapidly getting there, isn't he? And Just look at Mulrennan here and how cheeky he was.
0: Yeah, I mean, if you go on YouTube and look at the, I it's the 1984 Coronation Cup, Rainbow Quest and Pat Edry, mm. um, real similarities to that, a jockey who's absolutely tanking down the home straight, playing with the opposition, toying with them, and that's what he was doing on and Glenn. And Who would have thought at the start of the season that Yukon Glenn, as admirable even as he was then, would be doing this in a group race? Now, clearly, he's handled the ground. I think you can safely say it was on the easy side of good <laughs> at, at Newbury uh, <laughs> yesterday. Um, and you Glen was very effective on it but I uh, just just great to see horse who's who's worked so admirably in the top handicaps um, you know bust his gut in those races moving into group company on his last two starts and doing so well in it and yeah I think I think that was a, a race yesterday that will have given an, an awful lot of people an awful lot of
1: pleasure I want to know what it feels like to be in this position here and the man who can tell us is Paul Mulrennan who rides you can Glenn morning Paul Morning, Nick, and morning, Lee. Morning, Paul. When you're sitting there motionless in a Group 3, I mean, how long do you dare sit there like a statue? I know, yeah, it was an
5: unbelievable feeling that yesterday. Um, he's got a, He's got an unbelievable engine, this horse. It's just no fluke. He's gone on and, and, and done what he's done. Jim, you know, he's always held his horse in a very high, high regard. Um, I, I can even remember winning on him back in 2016 up at air. And, you know, Jim has always held him in a very high regard. Um, He's had two years off the track, so, you know, fair play to Jim. It's it's an unbelievable training performance. And, uh, like, you just touched on that to to, to go up through the handicap route. And I think yesterday as well, it proved it was no fluke what he'd done at York. You know, it was a hell of a performance that day at York. But yesterday he was was just unbelievable. And, you know, he's by that wonderful sire Authorizedly. so... Hopefully there'll be more to come from
1: him. Well, it's been a notable week for Authorised, because not only did he win your race yesterday with you and Glenn, he also had the horse who bolted up in the bumper for Nicky Henderson. And his great flag-bearer tiger role came back with a run on the flat ridden by a 16-year-old. So, as you say, he, ha- he has been a splendid sire, even though he's had to spend quite a bit of his career in, in Turkey, latterly.
5: You know, he's a wonderful sire, and I, I think notably, you know, all- they, all- they all get better, don't they, with age, you know, you don't see many horses improving at seven, but this horse, Hugen Glenn, he's definitely improved at age. Maybe it was a blessing, the slight injury he had. He had two years off. Um, you know The thing I've noticed in sort him of, this year, he, he, every time I've ridden him, he seems to have got bigger and stronger.
1: I mean, unfortunately, the season is, is sort of coming to an end. Because uh, it seems as though you know, you, you'd want to be running him just about everywhere you can at the moment.
5: Yeah, Jim touched on last night there's a few opportunities abroad for him. Uh, I think in Bar Range there's a race for him, um, obviously Maidan could be an option to buy in the winter. Um, even from a personal point of view, I've had my, this is probably my best ever season that I've had. And you just don't want it to finish, you know, when you're when you're riding plenty of winners and things are going well, you don't want it to finish. Um, I can't I can't believe these season's have gone as well as it has, but no, it's been a great year.
1: What, why, do you think it, why do you think that is? Because obviously it was the same for everybody. You had to start a bit late and you sort of interrupted. Did, did, were you recharged by the break?
5: Maybe. Um, I think I've been lucky, though, that a lot of the yards that I've been riding for, they kept their horses ticking over through the lockdown. So I sort of hit the ground running, really. had a very good start in June. Um, yeah, so no, no, I've been lucky that way. To the yards I've been riding for, their horses have been healthy. And, um, yeah, we've just kept the board rolling and some some nice horses have come along
1: the way. Well, Paul, thanks so much for talking to us this morning. Long may the success story continue.
5: Lovely. Thanks, guys. All the best. Cheers.
1: Who says the, the longevity is just for, for horses over jumps, Lee?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, my word, that has been a story, hasn't it, of of this season. For a start, you had obviously you had an Abel going into the arc as a six-year-old. You've had horses like a Dabe. Lots of horses um, who have been plying their trade for many years have really lit up um, this flat season, Um, many of them geldings, um, and it's just great to see horses coming back year after year because we we always make this point that jumping is more popular than flat racing because the horses are around for longer and you build up relationships with the horses. Great to see horses like that you can then will be a popular horse. It'll be a popular horse with racing fans and with punters because they know him. Yeah. And so many of these, if you look down the, the big races this year, so many of them have been won
1: by horses of an age who we've got to know and I think that's a marvellous thing. But the sport is about renewal as well and we're always on the lookout for the stars of the future and to that end after this break I will be talking to Jim Bolger who not only owned and trained the winner of the Vertin for charity but bred the winner of the Group 1 Grand Critérium de Saint-Cloud in France as well. Quite a, an extraordinary double and a, a good story behind it as well. That's coming up in a few moments. Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albastia Cruel Dubai. I want to take stock of the achievements of trainer Jim Bolger yesterday because just bear with me for one second while I I take you through them. Um, Owned, or wife Jackie owned, trained, and bred the winner of the Vertum Faturity, McSwinnie. Bred, the winner of the Criterion de Saint Cloud, Gear Up. Not only that, Bred the sires of both horses, New Approach and Teofilo. Teofilo was also the dam sire of McSwinney. And in addition, at Leopardstown yesterday, I apologise, I was at Cheltenham, so I had to have eyes everywhere, Bred, owned and trained Flying Visit, who won the Airfield Stakes. So I think you call that, uh, Jim Bolger, quite a good day's work. Um, Congratulations, Jim.
6: Uh, thank you very much, Nick. Just one slight correction oh, there. There uh, had to be at least approach. one. Yeah, it's only one and only one. Uh, Nick, um, new approach was read by the Burns family. I I only
1: trained. Them. Ah, you only trained them, I remember now. Apologies yeah. for that, but I, I knew there would be an error in there somewhere. <laughs> Apart from that, I think I got it. I got it just about right. But I think it is fair to say that you and family are intertwined with these horses in a a way, to to a depth and to a degree, that very few people could be when they have multiple group winners on the same day. As regards achievements to your career, where does yesterday stack up? It must rank pretty highly, doesn't it?
6: Uh, Sure, it's it's, it's probably the best day we've had, you know, to to be connected to two group one winners within five minutes, and in that regard, well done to Mark Johnson also.
1: Mark Johnson, who trained, gear up to win the the Criterion de saint Clou. I, I wanted to talk about McSwinney with you first because you talked a little bit about it last night. This is a very sp- special horse to you, and and, and named um, as such. Just tell me a little bit more
6: about the horse, or about
1: in my... A little, a little of both, Jim. Yeah.
6: Well. Um... I had an uncle who was very active in the War of Independence and he was very friendly with Terence Max Sweeney. Uh, he met him in prison first and uh, I used to visit him then in the late 50s and early 60s on the Sunday morning and uh, he used to talk about him regularly. Little did I think at that stage that I would ever own a thoroughbred horse, much less uh, train one at the caliber of, of the current Max Sweeney. So uh, I, I waited anyway until I knew the 100th anniversary was coming up. And I always hoped that nobody would take the name, uh, which they didn't. And uh, I was able to get it. And uh, uh, he was able to do uh, the man great honour by winning yesterday. What,
1: what was it about your your uncle's um Recollections of uh, of McSweeney that that left a particular impression on you.
6: Uh, well, he gave his, he gave his life for Irish freedom, and we wouldn't have what we have today without people like himself. I mean, he became famous around the world, and he was on the seventy four day hunger strike, and uh, it it focused great attention on him, and the injustices that were being inflicted on us by your country.
1: And he was only forty-one when he when he died, but he'd obviously achieved an enormous amount and had had garnered a, a, a very significant um, following, not just in Cork but a, but a, around Ireland,
6: uh, around the world actually. Um, well, he was a playwright as well, and uh, he, he became Lord. He had been involved in, in politics from about nineteen ten onwards, and uh, when. Uh, the Lord Mayor of Cork was assassinated. Uh, he, he was next Lord Mayor, so he had to go on the run then because his life would have been in danger. So he would have had a very hard life. Uh, he was well up to it, and uh, he he uh, influenced an awful lot of people. You know, and uh, it culminated in our partial freedom then in
1: 1922. So when you go to name a horse after a... Uh, a, a historical political figure, uh, a figure of significant artistic merit. You want to make sure the horse is good, Jim. Um, how good did you did you know the horse was when you gave him the name?
6: Well, he, he was broken and riding uh, in October, and he had been doing easy canters then for uh, November, December, but he always pointed the toe and. Uh, uh where contrary to what people think, now I think he's a really good ground horse because uh, he's a terrific mover on on, on the battleground. ground. But anyway, uh, I was be- beginning to be impressed with him around Christmas time, and uh, that's when I do the naming. And I, w- I was thinking of him, and uh, I-, I felt that this was the right horse. The other one that. I had in mind at the time was the horses uh won the group three at Leopardstown last week um, poetic flair so uh, it was one or the other and i wouldn't have been wrong with either of them but in any case i suppose uh poetic flair was never going to go to doncaster because the ground wasn't uh, to his liking but uh, uh anyway i had a a good substitute and uh, he was able to do the business on the eve of Terence Mike Sweeney's 100th anniversary.
1: Remarkable. And gear up in the Criterion de, de Saint-Cleu for for Mark Johnson. You've already congratulated Mark. Everybody, uh, everybody
6: knows that uh, I represent the poor in racing. Yeah, so indeed so, Jim. I, I, had, I had to sell him and uh, I, I'm glad that Mark Johnson got him. So. Uh, uh and he he's handled them extremely well and and uh i'll be worried about him if we're going to meet him in the derby next year, but anyway uh we'll leave that until next
0: year
1: that's a that's another very nice problem to have well uh, that's an interesting question as well. How you decide when you've got these lovely colts, which ones go to the sales and which ones you keep to train
6: uh well that usually decides itself. Uh, uh, the horses that are most forward and most suitable and most commercial-looking, they go to the sales and I'm left with the others.
5: Well, and, yeah.
6: uh, fortunately, uh, Max Sweeney was a little bit backward as a yearling, so he was never going to go. Uh, because, as you know, nowadays, uh, at the sales, you know, er- everything has to look really well and look as if it's going to win uh, the following march. And he, he never looked that sort of horse. But uh, uh, I, I tried to pick the right ones for the sales. So ho- hopefully uh, when people buy any of my horses at the sales, that uh, they'll be buying some quality.
1: And, and obviously, you know, there's a lot of trading points for horses. You've had great success selling horses in, in training as well. Do you have to be ruthless with yourself when you're making these decisions? Or do you think, well, oh, do you know, I might just keep that one back because... Yeah, there might be a better point of sale further down the track.
6: Well, I don't beat myself up, and uh, you know, if 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 I sell one that turns out very good, I'm delighted for all concerned, and uh, I try to do the best that I can with with uh, with what I have at any particular time.
1: I wanted to um, just give you an opportunity to talk a bit about Kevin uh, Manning, your your son-in-law and, and long-time jockey. Kev- Jim.
6: Kev- Kevin is a superstar. Uh he he's been with us now since he was fifteen and uh he's as enthusiastic today as he was when he was fifteen and uh he has always delivered on big day for me and I suppose his most notable ride uh was new approach in the Epsom Derby.
1: I mean a remarkable ride and and one of great uh, one of great daring. I just looking back on, on those horses from that era, sort of the back end of the noughties, if you like, New Approach and filo who was so instrumental in the successes that you you, you had yesterday. Um, I, I wonder, really, whether we appreciate New Approach enough. You make the point he was a Derby winner. All he did is a two-year-old. And that performance in the old champion stakes at Newmarket was was kind of ridiculously good, really.
6: Well, the way it's gone with the Sires now, if they're not turning uh last Ascot winners are, are Guineas winners every year. They go cold very quickly. And I think uh, New Approach suffered a little bit from that as well and doesn't seem to have picked up an awful lot from his Epsom Derby winner. Uh, but uh, anyway, I never lost him. And uh, I'd be patronising him as long as he's alive.
1: And his son Dawn Approach has just started to uh, belatedly chuck some winners up as well. Some nice ones too.
6: Well, next year will be his year.
1: And what gives you that confidence, Jim?
6: Uh, because of Poetic Flair. I, I... think he, he, he's he's, um, he's a two-year-old of some quality. Uh, things didn't go really right for him. He, he won the first day of the flat at Nath. And uh, a couple of weeks after that, he began to grow. He was about 15-2 at that stage. And he was round as well but then he began to grow and he got a bit weaker. So uh, during the lockdown and all of that I left him alone and uh, I probably left him alone too long and I didn't get him back in time and I hope nobody minds too much but I kind of used uh, the Jewhurst as the pipe opener for leopard sounds <laughs> because uh, <laughs> I knew he'd run well which he did but he wasn't quite fit enough and uh hopefully he'd be taking on those horses next year now on on a level playing pitch
1: so he could just be about the best of the lot
6: uh, well if he's if he's equal to max Sweeney, i'd be very happy
1: uh, jim thanks so much for talking to me well done yesterday quite a quite a day
0: thanks Nick.
1: jim boldeo that is that's unreal isn't it yeah to incredible pull off all day. that in, incredible in an afternoon
0: day. um yeah and and me. Who says that sport and politics don't mix? I think Jim Bolger shows that it can mix spectacularly well. Luck on Sunday. Proudly sponsored by Al Basti Dubai.
1: Well, I'm very pleased to welcome Robert Bathurst to the Luck on Sunday studio for the first time. I hope it's not the last. I did read in an interview the other day that Robert said that his, his greatest failing in life was to say, yes, I'd be delighted to. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that's not the reason, en on, on route to Germany for more filming this afternoon, that you yeah. agreed to come here this morning. Well, I'm <laughs> delighted to be here. Well, thank, you so, <laughs> thank you so much. And, of course, you're not just here as one of the country's most recognisable actors. You're here because of your great love of, of the sport and of mm-hmm. horse racing. I was reading an article in The Guardian the other day, and you said, if there was one smell you loved, it was horse, and the reek and stench of horse should be bottled up and, and sold. Why, why do you love the, the well, animals? Well, from
7: so a very early my, um, my uncle and aunt were, uh, had hunters in North Cotswolds, and we used to. I'm not from a horsey family, but I used to love going down there. I used to love hanging around the stables. I love the smell of horses. I love the smell of, of tack and, and all the stables, the stable reek that goes on. And, and 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 you know, big sweaty horses after after a bit of work. It's 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 a, it's a, it's a great answer. So you weren't a rider, sir? No, I'm not. I'm not. I mean, uh, no. I mean, uh, I'm I'm not a rider. The last um, I did do. Uh, luckily, I have stunt people to do my riding <laughs> sequences for me. And uh, uh, but so no, I wouldn't. I wouldn't ever say I am. I wouldn't. Um, I did. I fell off last time. I I, I'm, I don't bounce anymore. <laughs> I just like being around them, and I and I I love the sight of them. I love them. Uh, the, uh, the whole spirit of the game, um, and a question sports generally. I mean, I like uh, you know, seeing, seeing polo and eventing and things like that as well. But um, jump racing is, is what I adore most.
1: I mean, you know, you know, fear of a different kind. You know, <laughs> sort of exposing your your soul and exposing yourself to, to huge audiences. Um, how much do you admire the the, the fearlessness of, of jump jockeys in particular?
7: I remember reading about Terry Biddlecombe back in the day, talking about the red light and talking about when as soon as a jockey sees the red light, is how he described it. When you're going into a jump and 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 if it's not green, something's wrong. You know, you, you have to you have to. It's not fear. It's not it's not reckless. I mean, it can be reckless, mm. and it can be close your eyes and go. But but um, as soon as, as soon I understand. And talking to jockeys, I love talking to jockeys <laughs> and, and whenever I can, and just to, just to to get them to somehow to express. What, what in what spirit they're going at the jump at that speed. And I just think that i, I just in awe of, of, of their bravery, of course. But it isn't just re- it isn't reckless, it's such skill, it's such timing, it's such rhythm. And um, as soon as that rhythm is interrupted by fear, then I gather it's time to give up.
1: And two other things that you, you could empathize with uh, a the adrenaline. Getting being on a great adrenaline high mm. and then having to manage yourself after mm, mm. after that adrenaline high Mm -hmm. and also life in life in the spotlight
7: yeah I mean sometimes when you when uh, the first night of a show (laughs) when you're about to go out on stage for the first time you think I mean who needs to do bungee jumping (laughs) you get that sense of of, of freefall and but uh, yeah I mean you it's it's absolutely I mean it's much safer being an actor than it is being a jump jockey I have to say uh, but there, there are elements of, 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 of fear and terror and all those other things like that, which is nowhere near anything like taking beaches. Uh, but that, that life in the spotlight,
1: and I think now, especially with sportsmen they, and women, they, they, they spend more time in the spotlight than perhaps they used to because they're not shielded it from, from anywhere. To what, to what extent did that inform your desire to be, to be part
7: of the, the fall, the new, the new film that you're making with Nathan Horrocks? Well, I've had an interest in racing for a long time, and somebody knew that and got in touch um, with, with me about that. Uh, the, the Fall is um, a project, Nathan Horrocks, the, the former jockey who runs um, a production company, um, in the light of um, very uh, difficult things that have gone on in racing in terms of mental health. And people, friends of his uh, who have um, succumbed, um, he wrote a script called The Fall, a short film. And he rang me up to talk about being the trainer in it. The trainer is just a, I just phone in and, and sack the jockey. You know, so, and so he was talking about that. And I was talking to him about that. And I'd read the script, and, I, and I was, I, I, it's a subject that I, I am well aware of following, following the game. And I'm also fascinated as to, what, as to what the pressures are, in particular, to racing as opposed to any other sport. Mm. So I was talking to him about that. And, and I said, have you ever directed actors before? Because there are two parts in it. There's the jockey and his partner. And, uh, and he said he hadn't. And so, uh, through my agent, I didn't say it directly. I said, well, I'll do it. I'll direct it. I'll direct the actors. Because, um, and it's not, I said, not, it's, it's a collaboration. He, re- he does really high-grade high documentary films, uh, uh, pro, uh, yeah. TV programs. Programs for, uh, called Equine Productions, is his company. But he hasn't, he hasn't done drama before. And if you're going to tackle something as pertinent as mental health in racing, um, I wouldn't have wanted it to be... Uh, just, a, just a self-help video. It's got to be a drama first, and so you, and we've got these two real. We've got uh, Daniel Thrace and Chloe Wade playing playing the two, two of the actors in it. And uh, I said, I'll direct them. I'll, I'll be I'll be with them. I'll tickle the drama along, as it were. And then the, the power of it, power of what Nathan's created, uh, can also um, have a reflection as to what the the pressures are on on um, on jockeys uh, you know, and and how they might possibly avoid succumbing to it
1: do do you think
7: you would get as as big a thrill out of directing young actors as you would from performing yourself it's a different thing i just i just um, we're well, all behind the eyes and you just you just you just want to we want to just bring them it, into it um, I, you know I, I don't know how it's going to go we don't know it's a, it's a re- it's a really good story it's got to be like a little symphony it's a short 10, 10 12 minute film and it's got everything's got to be it's got to be done with great economy uh, and and there's, there's the tensions and all those points like that have got to be, got to be made and created and marked. Um, I'm really looking forward to to working with Nathan on in in, um, in bringing it off. And I'm speaking to Nathan a little bit a few weeks ago. He was saying
1: that you know, as I was touching on, jockeys can't really escape the the attention now. There's no there's no real safe place for them. They just have to be out there and on their game all the time, whether mm. they're on the horse or off the horse. Mm. And that wasn't the mm. case you know, in Terry Biddlecombe's day. He could go off and enjoy himself in the in the evening,
7: yeah, yeah and, and, and no doubt and did a huge pressure. And, and I, I was just—I'm intrigued as to why 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 g- racing is different from tennis, golf, other sports. And just, it's just the, the team around you. You are so exposed mm. as a jockey. You, of course, you're in the in the weighing room with, with people who are out to get you. But 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 of course, the, the cam- I love the, uh, the stories of camaraderie within the weighing room, the support you get. But it's not, it's not, it's not unqualified. Mm. And and who have you got? You've got trainers who you've got to keep the ride from. You've got owners who are, who are having a go at you. You've got, now got social media and all the pressures that come from there. Who, who do you have? And I think the the loneliness and the exposure that jockeys have is, is, is something that is different from other, other, even individual sports, where there is more of a team around that, that performer. I,
1: I, I was reading your, your article that you wrote in the, in the oldie where it was a, a really a love letter to, to steeplechasing. Mm. You love jump racing in, mm. in particular. But you also noted that the racing industry, both coasts, but especially the jumps, is insecure and feels the need to widen its, its public mm. appeal, which I thought was a, a pretty astute observation from someone who's not immersed in the game every day. You really do pick up our, our complete neurosis and insecurity about, about our, our sport. I think you should have
7: more confidence in the, in the product. Um, I, I mean, interesting. You had your um, Patrick this early, earlier. Uh, aware that um, people aren't being brought in towards the sport, fans mm. aren't, aren't, don't dip into the sport because they feel that there's too much of it or, or, mm. or whatever. Um, I, I, there, there are all sorts of discussions to be done, and, and I'm not uh, qualified to, uh, to to give answers. But uh, I, I, I think. I, I, I do, I do love it, but I do think that the, the racing game could, should just say we have this most fantastic product. It is so exciting, it is so vivid, it is so full of stories. It is, it is, it is brilliant. It is a great day to come, come to. You can stand up by the jumps if you can, if you're allowed into the middle, and you can stand there and feel the power of it, and you can see, and, and you can get to know individuals from, from remotely from from and horses, and you can in the jump game you can follow as it's been made so many times to follow the horses through. Uh, it is a great, great product, and I just, I just sometimes think that, 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 that uh, racing is too, is too down on itself. And uh, they should say, we have this, this great, great sport. Um, the, the problem is that it's, it's, it has, the business model is, 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 is betting, and not everybody is drawn to betting. And there has to be a way of monetizing the fans of, of racing who, who don't want to bet too, too hard, and I don't know how you do that. But um, it, it is, I think racing should be more confident about what what, what they're doing and, uh, and, 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 and accept the fact that they're doing an extraordinary, dangerous, exciting, thrilling sport. One of the horses that really got your blood pumping, I know, was Moscow Flyer in mm. that
1: vintage era of two-mile chasers in mm. the sort of early noughties with Azertyop and and World Chief. What was it about
7: him that you, you admired so much? Well, I mean, he, he wasn't unflawed. You know, he, he, mm. he was... Uh, it was at a time when I was really getting into the sport. I mean, I was, I was, I was following it, following you, following, following, um, Alistair Down in the in the post, following uh, all the races. But he 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 had four falls. I don't think uh, Bagheri had much chance with any <laughs> of the uh, other falls. And and he came back. He came back. He'd run his two uh, champion chases, having had his failure um, in the middle. Mm. And it was it was um, really exciting to see. Um, a horse, you're on the, on the edge of your seat as to whether he's going to make it round. Uh, and, 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 he, and he wiped the opposition. I also love the fact that it was Jessica Harrington training, and I just was I found her really appealing. Um, and so it was, it was a horse, you've, to, over a three-year period, you could follow Moscow Flower and get the most tremendous thrill.